The following program is a paid commercial, which has been paid for by the advertiser, whose products and or services are featured in this program. Mindful of your health. Sponsored by Emergence Health Network. Hello, everyone, and thank you for spending some of your time with us here on our EHN Mindful of Your Health podcast. I am your host, Noreen Hadamio. For the next 20 minutes or so, we are going to focus on substance use disorders or substance misuse, or we're going to get the explanation from Dr. Thornberger in just a second, what others refer to as addiction. So we do have our specialist with us here uh, today, and that is Dr. Wayne Thornberg. You are our chief medical officer for the primary care and addiction services at EHN. So we want to thank you for spending some of your, some of your time with us. So I just gave a long intro on substance use disorders, addiction, uh, you know, substance abuse. What is the difference between all of them or do they basically mean the same thing? Uh, Well, the substance use disorder is using something really for, uh, for something other than what it was actually intended. Sometimes you may not necessarily be addicted where you're using it or experiencing any physiologic changes or cravings for it, but there are differences in it. Okay. Yeah. And then addiction <clears throat> means that there is that. Absolutely. A physiologic change that occurs with it so that you have a craving for it. There's a tendency to want to uh, use more and more of it through the process of its continued use. Yeah. Okay. So obviously we are on uh, the Mindful of Your Health podcast and at Emergence Health Network, we provide a wide array of services for mental health. So what does addiction or how is it related to mental health? Uh, one of the most important things is, is I think that we're all familiar with uh, all the substances that are out there, whether it's smoking cigarettes or using alcohol. It mm-hmm. has a tendency to change your mood a little bit. But when those moods become more desirable in the place of uh, addressing behavioral health issues, sometimes people use substances to achieve uh, mood changes in order to help them deal with those Uh, issues that are really behind uh, the addiction itself. Uh, About 80% of our patient population that uses uh, drug substances have most likely an underlying depression, anxiety, or even bipolar disorder that may be precipitating the use or overuse of that substance. Okay, and is there, uh, is that where self-diagnosis sometimes come in? Sometimes it does. Sometimes uh, self-medicating. Sure, sure, absolutely. Is that people realize that it's helping them deal with the troubles and the issues that they've got so that they think that that's the way that they need to handle it. Not realizing that there's a potential risk for them to become actually addicted or have uh, uh, other medical problems that may be developed from their continued use. Okay, so what are some of the myths or misinformation about you know substance misuse or, or addiction? One of the biggest things that we run into is the misconception that it's all in your head. True, it does start there, but uh, a lot of people feel that, well, you start the problem. It's something that you do voluntarily when you start it, but in some instances, uh, even the genetic predisposition that people may have, Mm -hmm. they don't have the ability to stop. They may have the cravings that are ongoing for them. And so, uh, uh, again, that's the biggest misconception. And I think that's why we see a lot of people think that if you started it, you should be able to have the strength to stop it yourself. And they just don't have the ability to do that. It it progresses to that point where they can. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So uh, we have at our Westside Clinic um, where you guys do, um, you, you can treat both the mental aspect of it in addition to the addiction part of it, correct? You you treat yes, it together? It's, it's really an important part to 
not leave out the behavioral health element uh, because it's such a high uh, proprietary uh, element of the addiction component to really understand what the underlying problems were that may have led to the addiction. And then a lot of success of addiction is really based on treating that underlying behavioral health problem to begin with. Okay, so that is that is where we can treat both at once. Yes, okay, so you've you've specialized in this area for for quite some time. You have a lot of experience in this. Yes, I've been doing this for about twenty years, and then my primary care I've been doing for about forty years. Okay, so what what progression or progress have you seen in regards to uh, when it comes to substance misuse and, and addiction and substance abuse? It seems to be getting worse. Worse. Personally, it seems to be getting worse. There seems to be more of an outcry for people to acknowledge it and to want treatment for it or to demand treatment, even from politicians and all. But the, but there seems to be a lack huh. of enthusiasm from the backside, even insurance companies at times, to even want to treat that. Mm. And then uh, one of the other issues that we've got is the extensiveness and the variety of, of substances that are out there now. There's more experimentation going on. There's more combination uh, of substances going on. And then with the introduction of fentanyl, that's become increasingly more of a problematic thing. Uh, if it's, it's, it's a border issue. It really has become a border issue. And unfortunately, I don't think it's really uh, taken on the impact uh, that it should with regard to the severity. So what should we do as a community to help combat that? Or even as individuals or, or as parents talking to our kids? How I mean, what do we do? Well, the most important thing is, is that uh, I don't want to get into the legislative and political aspects of right. it, but we need to look at that as this, as one of our sources. It's one of the issues that we, that we experience. And it needs to be uh, understood and uh, acknowledged. Uh, the second thing is, is that with regard to um, children, families, we need to be more aware. We have, need to have better family connections. Uh, we need to have better relationships and better communication within families because those are the things that really start the underlying uh, relationships to determine and to identify whether there may be something ongoing with Okay, so let's go ahead and, and move to that next step. Mm -hmm identifying what are some of the identifying behaviors that we should be aware of well if you're looking at children and adults are a little bit different because their coping mechanisms are a little bit different okay. when you look at children some of the early signs that we see with them are uh, just changes in mood and behavior those are the earliest signs that we usually see uh, changes in dress, uh, who they hang out with, uh, what they do after hours, uh, not being involved with completing their school tasks, uh, you know, dropping out of maybe uh, 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 scholastic or academic related uh, and sports related things. Uh, so those are just some of the minor things. Mm -hmm. But uh, again, the mood changes and behavioral changes themselves that are the early, are usually the early signs. So if we could talk about adults now, how as um as an individual, do you approach, what do you say, what do you not say to a loved one um, who you think may have an issue? Uh, I think the most dangerous thing you can do is to not say anything at all. Uh, when, when we look at the behavioral health issues, there mm -hmm. may be some significant depression there that the patients or the individual struggling with. And sometimes the patient is wanting somebody to talk to and they feel that if they don't have anybody to talk to or they, they feel that nobody cares. And that's one of the things that needs to be uh, taken into consideration. Okay. If there's a concern or you think there's a concern, address it. If there's nothing there, they'll be happy that you showed interest. 
But if there is something there, hopefully they'll be happy that you intervened. Okay. Will they always, what if they, uh, and I'm just going off of, you know, <laughs> what what I think I know from television, but denial, you know. Absolutely. Uh, so what what if you approach them and then it gets, it goes nowhere? Do you continue or how do you know? Well, hopefully you, if you bring the awareness to them, that okay. they'll become more receptive to maybe understanding it. But again, depending on what the underlying problems are and what their own coping skills are, will determine whether or not you have an ability to reach out to them or not. Okay. Um, how about an individual themselves? You think that you're dealing with the problem. What is what is the first step? What do you do? And and what kind of emotions does an individual go through? Are they scared? Are they worried? Are Absolutely. they? Absolutely. A lot of people don't want to admit it because of the stigma that's associated with it. Uh, they're worried about friends, family, work, all the other different elements of people who may become aware. And so there's a lack of, uh, of uh, engagement by the individual sometimes until they find that they've got a support system that's there to help get them through the process. And uh, one of the things that I've been very happy for is that in some of my patient population that comes in, they've actually conveyed uh, the, the, their problems to their employers. The employers have oh. given them the time off. They've said, go get fixed, get yourself back. We, we really uh, appreciate your work ethic here and we'd like to keep you on the force and we want, want to, we'll welcome you back after you're treated. Okay, well that's, so that's a been, positive. That's, those are always encouraging. Those are some positives. Okay, well valuable information so far, but we are gonna take a little um, 30 second break. Uh, when we return, if we can have a conversation about vaping. Okay. Because I think that is, uh, that's important that, that we get that information out to our, our viewers and our listeners. Okay, So we'll, we'll be right back. Thank you. Emergence Health Network Your Behavioral Health is our commitment. For more than 55 years, we have been serving our community, providing mental health programs, substance use treatments, assistance for our veterans, and 24-hour crisis care. This is us working for you. Welcome back, everyone. We have Dr. Wayne Thornburg with us talking about substance use disorders, addictions, and I want to address the the topic of vaping. Um, so I, I I I want to talk about this topic because you know dropping your kids off at school, high school level, you you see the kids walking to classes and and you know you see the, the vape, uh, and and that's just so concerning to me. And then you read articles that that these vapes are way more have way more nicotine than than what they're realizing. So I wanted to address this issue, and and hopefully we can. Okay. You know, um, this awareness can help parents deal with it or even become aware that it, it is an issue. So how big of a problem is it, would you say? It's a problem. It's getting, it, it, it's increasing. Uh, I think as we manage to educate the kids, they'll let them know that we're aware of it. Okay. And I think that that's important. And again, parents need to, for, for the, the most important thing is, is address the risks with their kids. They need okay. to let them know, they need to let their kids know that they care. And, uh, uh, but again, peer pressure mm -hmm. and their co and the individual's coping skills are going to be a very important thing. So uh, those are things just be mindful of. So when you talk about coping skills that they, they need to have in regards to like peer pressure, mm -hmm. in other words, how to deal with that? Even stressors at school, okay. you know, I mean, uh, we all have stress at work and kids have stress at school. Uh, we deal with things with the 
the coping mechanisms that we've learned to to utilize, whether it's deep breathing, taking a break, mm -hmm. whatever. Kids sometimes don't have that luxury of having that information. So again, just being aware of what's going on with your kids. And again, just letting them know that you care about them, that you're concerned, and that the risks are out there, I think, are the most important starting places. Okay. So vaping, I read an article that, um, and I don't know if I have my numbers correct, but somewhere along the lines of, like, one vape could have the amount of nicotine related to a whole pack of cigarettes. Yeah, some, some, depending on the type of, of usage and the, the method, yeah. And, and what does that do, I mean, to an individual who may not even realize, wow, and then their body is, is doing what? Well, it's a, it's a major influx of chemical reactions and uh, stimulus. And, so, and some kids like it and mm -hmm. some kids don't. And it's the kids who like it that have a tendency to want to continue to use. Okay. What does, as a parent, um, I mean, do you have withdrawals during something like that? Would you notice certain behaviors? With Maybe not after the first initial couple of uses or anything like that, but if you continue to use uh, the substance over a prolonged period of time and you stop, then you're going to have some withdrawal. And that can range anywhere from headaches to nausea, GI-related symptoms, anxiety, tremors, uh, mood swings again, anger, frustration. It just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a whole basket of symptoms that you can have from the withdrawal. And is that, uh, now let's open it up a little bit more, you know, is that the same withdrawals that you would have with any kind of addiction? And what do, what do we need to, um, you know, what, what do we want the, the listening public to be aware of? Well, it, it depending on the drug will depend on your type of withdrawal that you're going to have. Okay. Uh, if, if the substance is a, is a depressant, and when you remove it, everything's going to be escalated, mm -hmm. uh, the response that you have. And if, if you're, the substance that you have that you're currently taking is a stimulant, then when you take it away, everything is, your withdrawal is going to be downward. But emotional changes, behavioral health changes, anger, frustration are usually associated with all of them. Okay. So we talk about recovery and the recovery process. Mm -hmm. uh, it is possible, but yes. it, it takes commitment. And Absolutely. where do you get that to that point? What do you need? from, you know, an individual to say, okay, this is it. Usually what we do is when we, when we treat a patient at our, at our clinics, mm -hmm. uh, what we try to do is to engage the patient, find out what they're, what, what's, what do they want out of the program? That's the most important thing. Cause if you don't have their commitment, success rate's not very good. Okay. But once you've got their commitment and you start them on medication, you have about a 30, 35% success rate. One of the important things, like we talked about earlier, is the behavioral health element, the component that we have to have involved with that. And a lot of people just don't want to think they're Definitely. part of that. That's not them. But the success rate goes up over 80%. If you can treat when both. When you can treat both at the same time, because then you really have a better idea of what's going on, the triggers, the underlying issues that may need to be addressed as well. And for the patients, I have to say that the patients who go through that process and get the counseling, over a period of time when you go back and talk to them, they're much happier that they went through that process because they didn't realize the impact that the behavioral health component would have. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Thornburg. I want to leave it on. Is there anything that you want to make sure that we get out of this that uh, the viewers and listeners can walk away with? If you have any questions or any concerns, or if you think that there's somebody that you know that may have a problem, address it. Feel free to talk to them about it because uh, that's the first way to open the door. The second thing is if you have any questions and you're looking maybe for treatment is to call Emergence Health Network. We have several different programs that are there for funded and unfunded patients. And uh, we'll be more than happy to talk to you about the treatment options that you have uh, and, uh, and work with you from there.
All right, Dr. Thornburg, thank yeah. you again. And uh, the web address, by the way, to the website is uh, emergencehealthnetwork.org. Or you can also call our um, number where you can get information, let them know the services that you're interested in. That's 915-242-0555. Thank you again. You and thank you for listening you. and viewing. We'll see you next time. Thank you for letting us be mindful of your health. Brought to you by Emergence Health Network. We'll see you next time. The preceding program was a paid commercial, which has been paid for by the advertiser, whose products and or services are featured in this program.